Hello, everybody. I'm Oliver, and if you're listening to my podcast, Bookword, right now, then you're a bookworm who, like me, just can't get enough of those characters that make you stop and go, this character is amazing. This is the greatest book I've ever read. I love this character. Or that plot twist that you just couldn't read enough times to satisfy your unquenchable thirst. If you think you get sucked into the book like that, then this is your podcast. So Bookward is a podcast specifically about exploring the moments of books that we love from when we meet the character until the end of the book. But I hope that's not the end, because I hope this podcast will help people think about those books and then make sure they never forget it. And they'll just always think about that book when they read and they'll recommend it to everybody so that more people can read and become bookworms, just like you who are listening. So without further ado, let's get lost in the pages. Okay, so before I mention today's story, there's one more thing I want to go over, which is how I'll split these episodes into segments with interesting points in each segment And I put them into topics, so topic one will be about one thing, topic two, it'll be from the beginning to the middle to the end, and that's how I'll go about things. And today's book will be Scythe by Neil Shusterman. It is a series involving two other books, Thunderhead and The Toll, which I will make episodes about that too. And now, since that's done, I'm going to give you a warning. If you haven't read the book yet and you want to read it, Now is your chance before the spoilers. And if you just want it to be spoiled, then here we go. So the first topic is going to be about the setting and some questions that have been thought about throughout the, through this book about the beginning. But first the setting. So what's really interesting about it is how... It's really kind of like every sci-fi movie you would imagine, except for the immortal part. I've never seen a movie where people were immortal or read a book where they were immortal. And that was a really interesting point. I like how that was added, that they were immortal. But I also like how with the immortality, there were consequences like the sites, because with immortality, the population doesn't drop. And it has to be taken care of, or the world will be overpopulated. And I thought that was really interesting, that there are, in such a perfect world, there are consequences. That is a really interesting thing that Neil Shusterman did with that book that I really did enjoy. So the scythes, um, what's interesting about them is they can do anything they want. They can kill or glean anybody, as it's said. And... They can take anything they want, like some dude owns a yacht and they want that yacht, they can just take it from him, but they still follow their own rules. Like they have a code they have to follow and that's interesting that like they're free, but at the same time, they're not. They're prisoners prisoners to their own code, which is very interesting. I find that really cool. And then another interesting part of the story is the Thunderhead who replaced the government and how it was created like an AI from any sci-fi movie you would see where it's, they start to turn human, but not like one of the cool people you enjoy, but one of the crappy ones who sort of messed up the world. Except the Thunderhead isn't portrayed as like one of the bad AIs. It's actually like the one thing that I've actually seen where the AI doesn't go on the fritz and just destroy everything. It instead 
considers itself, it literally thinks of itself specifically as a servant to, to humanity, which is really interesting because you would think with all that superiority, superiority, superiority and all the stuff that it knows that it would find itself almighty and godlike, but instead it just stays humble. It just thinks I'm a servant to humanity. This is my job. This is my purpose, which is really weird for an AI that was made like any sci-fi movie ever. Because most of the time they just turn out evil. It's interesting. It's a very nice twist that for once the AI was not the bad guy. And now I'm going to go into the questions that were thought of. So the question as to why they have sites and the overpopulation in the first place. Why don't they just leave the planet? It couldn't be that hard. What with being immortal and stuff. It should be pretty easy. But... All those experiments are mentioned in the book, trying to leave the planet, trying to get away, trying to live on the moon, trying to go to Mars, trying to go to literally anywhere in the solar system or outside of it. And they've just always backfired, which is really, really interesting because you would think it would be a lot like Ender's Game, where they went and colonized. And Ender's Game is another really interesting book that I would recommend to the people listening right now. But anyway, we shouldn't get off topic. Um, so you'd think they would go colonize, right? And it's hard to think they would fail with such, like, superior technology. I mean, it's impossible for people to die, so how is it hard for you to build a rocket ship and go live on a planet in space? But it's just not supposed to happen, I guess. It's just not meant to be. So they have revival centers in the Thunderhead, and they live on Earth. And if you're gleaned, you're gleaned. You lived lived a long life. I mean, some of them lived to be 60 when they looked like they were 25, always resetting their age. I mean, it's a near-perfect world. It sounds even getting gleaned, though. It's not all bad because some people, some sites are nice when gleaning, so it's not bad, and it's not a horrible experience, but we'll talk about something's wrong with the scythes and the scythedom, as it's called, in our next topic. Hello, Scythes. Have you ever had that moment where your patient you've selected for gleaning is just too sweaty and you can't seem to get him every time you try to glean him? You keep missing your mark with the knife and his nanites heal him because you missed his artery by like an inch? There's gotta be a better way. Well, now there is. Introducing Finger Poison. Just swallow one of our Finger Poison patented pills and your hands will instantly become lethal killing machines. No Bakator. Knives, guns, or anything involved. You just touch your subject and they're instantly gleaned. Finger poison. Gleaning made easy. Alright, topic two. Here we go. This is characteristic flaws and attributes of certain key sites in the story, such as Faraday, Goddard, and Curie, all of whom once mentored Citra Rowan or both in Faraday's case. And before we get into this, there's a very big spoiler in this one, so it's second time to warn you for spoilers, because this one's kind of big. So if you don't want to have a humongous one, you just want tiny ones, the first one's your one, but this one, you're warned. Consider this a warning. Everybody else, let's do this. So we're going to start off with Scythe Curie and talk about her flaws and attributes and see where they lay out. So in the story, Scythe Curie is portrayed as very wise, a smart 
scythe and eventually mentor she's very good at what she does she is not merciless she's very merciful and sometimes merciless she's she's like nature it doesn't it just comes it just comes and goes and you don't know when it's coming you don't know when it's going and it just happens it's just very sudden and sometimes it's not super sudden but it always happens so she's very wise in her later scythe years and apprentice uh, mentorship but when she was an apprentice to Scythe Faraday, this is the big spoiler. She was Scythe Faraday's apprentice. But now that she is, when she was a junior Scythe and finished her apprenticeship, she did make some very bad choices, such as gleaning the president and his entire cabinet after the Thunderhead took power. This is very controversial to think about. Like me thinking about it, it was very very surprising that she would do that considering seeing her now in the story and seeing what she's done and all the good she's done that she would do something that she would do such a heinous act but as she describes it in the story she was very naive she didn't know what she was doing she well she knew very well what she was doing but she didn't understand the consequences and how it would come to portray her later and what is very, very intriguing about this, what the most interesting part about this whole transformation that she goes through from like killing, gleaning the president and his cabinet to becoming so wise is that she actually changed her ways. Most sites always think of their deeds as acts of heroism and that they are unstoppable forces. But Scythe Curie stopped and she was like, okay that was wrong. I need to learn from my mistakes. And she did. She went and she learned. Which is very, very, very surprising to think about from a scythe. But enough with Scythe Curie. Now let's go to Scythe Goddard. He seems like an all-around bad guy, right? You look at him and you're like, this guy's terrible. He's a bad guy. He's obviously very horrible and the main antagonist. But he surprisingly does have some good characteristics. Sure, he enjoys mask leanings and killings, and that is very, very, very bad, and pretty sure it's against one of the commandments to enjoy it. They literally select scythes who don't want the job. People who don't want to get selected and people who do never get selected. So the fact that Goddard got selected is kind of weird to think about, and it's an anomaly within itself, and I could not explain it if I wanted to. So now let's go into the good. The one only shining star the only diamond that is actually good on that man is the fact that he can commit gleanings without conscience because if you think of faraday he's very he does not like gleaning and it makes him very very sad and it's hard for him to work through it but with scythe goddard he doesn't really have a conscience so it's easier for him to just let it go it's easier for him to be a scythe and continue to just move along and keep going and just keep doing his job without remorse. I mean, maybe he feels remorse. Don't really know. His conscious is kind of a very weird thing. But that's the one good thing. Because he taught Rowan in his apprenticeship how to kill, but to not have regrets and look back and second guess. Because that's what leads to differences in sights and makes it a really complicated scythedom. I'm not saying that all of Goddard's ideas are good, but that one is kind of to have no conscience is a thing that some scythes do need. They should obviously have their conscience, but should try to silence it a bit more is what I'm trying to convey here. But now, enough with Goddard. We will now go to Faraday. 
Now, Faraday is the one here who it's very hard to find a flaw within him. I had to talk with another person who read the book for quite a while to figure out anything he did wrong. Because he seems like the shining star, the needle in a haystack that you never find until you do. Because they found him. And the only, the one flaw that we ever found was taking on two apprentices. And even then, that was less a flaw and more of just an accident. It could have been good, but the Scythum sort of took advantage of his decision and made it a bad thing. But that was his only mistake that we could think of. I'm sure all the listeners here who have read the book or have heard of the part could think of one. And that's great. It's always it's always good to remember that no scythe is perfect. That's the one key thing that needs remembering is no scythe is perfect. Not even Faraday. But Faraday is the closest to the best scythe because his was a mistake and it was kind of the only one we could find. But now that we've gone into key attributes of the scythes, I think that is it for our second topic. So stay tuned for the third. calling all scythes from Mid-America. As you know, we're in a crisis, because the Mid-American scythe doesn't know what they want to do about flamethrowers. But all you scythes out there, all the ones who enjoy flamethrowers, you understand, you know we need them. It makes mass gleanings easier. It makes it easier to dispose of the body of those gleaned. It makes every scythe's job easier to have a flamethrower. So please, cast your votes, votes with Scythe Chomsky, at Scythe Goddard's humble abode to help save flamethrowers today. Don't let Xenocrates take this from us. You can contact us at www.savetheflamethrowers.com slash scythes. Thank you. Okay, now we've hit our third and final topic. I hope everybody's getting excited for this. There aren't any spoilers that I know in this one, but... You can always be safe, so I'm going to give you a third warning. It's going to be the last one in the episode, I promise. So if you don't want any spoilers, if you don't want any spoiler, spoiler, I don't even know how many spoilers this is anymore. People who are listening for spoilers have passed the second one, so you've you've already been warned. It's fine. Okay, let's get into the third topic, which is um, loopholes in the scythedom. Even though it seems perfect, there are still loopholes, so let's get into that, and I'm going to discuss some of these loopholes. So here we go. The first loophole that we figure out is Scythe Goddard enjoying killing. Because we remember at the beginning of the book, Scythes are only chosen if they don't want to be Scythes. If they don't enjoy killing and they have hearts. But if Scythe Goddard enjoyed killing after being elected, there's nothing they can do about it. But maybe slap him on the wrist or render him deadish and then bring him back later. There's nothing they can do about it. Which means Goddard has found a way into his dream job, even though he doesn't deserve it. So that's going to be our first loophole, and the second one is having two apprentices. It's it's unorthodox, it's unheard of. Scythe Faraday pulled it off because he's awesome, and everybody loves Scythe Faraday, so nobody can be mad at him. But um, that's a very big loophole because one apprentice has always been the thing. It's not... I think having one apprentice is more tradition, but eventually it turned into a law, but not really. And Faraday saw through that, so he took on two apprentices for... It's hard to figure out the reasons, but 
I think when we get to the next episode about the next book, it will clear itself up. So next loophole is Rowan breaking Citra's neck. It sounds really gruesome and really messed up saying that. Just completely random. But during their Bakhtor match, during their second conclave, I think when they took their second test, Rowan was trying to lose. He had come to terms. He was like, I'm going to die so Citra doesn't get gleaned because I don't want her to die. Because I should mention this loophole now. They put the two against each other. When Faraday elected two um, apprentices, the the Scythum selected that the winner glean the loser. So Rowan would rather die than kill Citra. So he decided that he was going to flunk the Bakhtor match to give her a bit more leeway. But Citra was not going to have it. And each time made his attempt at a failure look like a success. So he broke her neck. Which is weird because why? But... Anyway, he broke her neck to make sure that he would lose and that it would end in a tie, rendering him disqualified and her deadish. And my number one loophole, end of the book, very end, when Citra was told to glean Rowan after winning. Now, this is after Rowan killed Goddard, Chomsky, and that other random scythe, and, and Rand. And Volta self-cleaned because he secretly had a conscience. But anyway, anyway, so Citra punches him in the face first. After picking up her knife first, she punches him in the face with her ring finger. Now, when you think about the DNA transfers that come to the ring, if they kiss it, but if somebody bleeds on the ring, they can also be granted immunity, which is a genius loophole by what she's now known as, as Scythe Anastasia, because his blood was put on the ring, giving him a year of immunity. That is a amazing loophole. It is just an awesome thing to watch because you would never expect it. You'd never see it coming. It's just random. There's no way you'd ever see it. So the fact that she pulled that off and saved him proves that the scythum is not perfect. And all those other loopholes prove it too, so... We're just going to find out where the Scythum goes from there and how they react. It's going to be an interesting next episode with Thunderhead. Um, stay tuned if you want to hear a little bit more. But if you just wanted the topics, then thank you for listening. This is Bookward. Sometimes days are just sad and you feel like you need somebody to talk to. But your parents are never there for you because they have too many children to look after already. And there's no one else for you to talk to. You're just lonely. Well, lucky for you, the Thunderhead is here, and it's always willing to listen. You can just tell it whatever is wrong, and then it will respond in a kind and loving way. It is always there to protect you and serve you, keep you happy. You can get to the Thunderhead at www.thethunderheadlovesyou.com. okay so it seems we've reached the end i want to thank you for listening i hope you had as much fun listening to this as i did making it it's been fun to be doing this podcast about books 
Special thanks to Jake London because I used his recordings in a couple of things. And now that that's out of the way, make sure to read The Thunderhead and tune in for the next episode. This is Bookward ending this chapter and signing off. Mm-hmm.